don't buy more than you need. A lot of people will buy that brand new 7200. Mm-hmm. They'll buy that new $2,000 microphone because they're like, oh, my audio has always been garbage, but maybe because this is so expensive, this will fix it. Mm-hmm. Instead of going back to tips and tutorials and techniques, mm-hmm. they look to gear to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good method. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mays, here in the Polar Pro Studio. Today's guest is Andrew Jones from Deity Microphone. Andrew is the lead brand developer for Deity Microphones, but his career doesn't start there. He began his journey in video production, shooting weddings, then going to reality television, to then going to audio production for Hollywood films and reality television. But now Andrew hosts the Deity Microphone YouTube channel, as well as lead the team at Deity Microphones for brand development. That includes coming up with new microphones and seeing it all the way through production to then selling the microphones to all of us. I actually own a couple of the microphones that Deity makes and I'm a huge fan of their products. It was a real honor for me to get Andrew in the Polar Pro Studio and do this interview. But before we listen to it, I want to remind you guys to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Without any further ado, let's listen in on my interview with Andrew Jones. So I'm sitting here with Andrew Jones, the brand developer uh, who technically runs Deity Microphone. Is that fair to say that? I don't sleep a lot, that's for sure. <laughs> but Andrew uh, and I met at what Sinning Gear, I think, is when we actually met. I last think year. so. Yeah. But I, I might have ago? seen you last year? at NAB. Yeah, it was last year. Somewhere. Like, yeah. But we've uh, we've just we hit it off and uh, follow each other on Twitter, and you're quite a, a tweet uh, a tweet person. I a, am. A twit, but as spelling is not my thing. Capitalization is not my thing anymore. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that you're all (laughs) lowercase. So when you do uppercase, it's like, ooh, ooh, Dave's Dave's talking. (laughs) Um, It it really, I can't spell for for the life of me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it doesn't help that my partner in crime, Steve, then created a Twitter account for his persona, Deity Steve, uh-huh. just to correct all my spelling errors on oh, Twitter wow. and troll me. <laughs> so he's not really much of a, a tweeter, but he no. does it just to spite you. He does it to spite me, yeah. just to troll, uh, <laughs> just to troll our own official account. I can see that you're eyeballing me as I am adjusting your levels here. On I, the focus I think right. I probably am. I probably going too loud? Am I getting too close? I'm a, I'm a mover. <laughs> no, not like, at all. I'm, I had to boost a, you a little bit. I'm a actually. mover, so like I know, like I, every now and then I get right up on the mic, and sometimes I'm a little off. And <laughs> no, it's fine. I have. It's the it's I don't work a lot with dynamics, so like uh-huh. it's a little weird for me to sit in front of a dynamic. Whereas a condenser, like on our own podcast setup, uh-huh. you know, I've got that thing eighteen inches away. So like, yeah, they give or take. I'm I'm a, I'm a loud talker too. So oh, so by the way, if people are listening and they're not aware, uh, you're referring to the microphones that we're talking about. Uh, yes. We have a lot of photographers and filmmakers, ah. but especially photographers might not be aware of those terms that you just flung around so uh, so haphazardly. Yeah, I condenser. I, also, I talk fast. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Like I'm, I'm a victim to my own speed sometimes because I talk faster than yeah. I can think. So I stutter at times, and I sound really, really dumb. And we're both Southern boys. I'm from Nashville. You're from Texas. Where, so where every, in Texas? like literally, we we've. I'm from Dallas. Okay, so a little bit more metropolitan. Did you know that there's a Cracker Barrel that's only an hour away now? Over here? Uh, yeah, Victorville. Yeah. Oh, I'm very familiar. No, no, no. no. They opened up another one closer now. It's oh. in uh, Fontana area. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Okay. Now that we're talking about being from the south and everything, yeah. one of the best things to do after a long day of shooting and being on set mm-hmm. is you hit up Waffle House. Oh, yes, of course. 
Like, because you don't know when you're getting off, but There's Waffle House is open. Always open. They're open for you. So, Andrew, you've been in the biz for a while. Uh, you didn't start, obviously, straight out of uh, school going into uh, working with uh, Deity or Deity, however right. you're supposed to say it. Um, you have a history in uh, audio for video uh, and audio in general. Can we just start kind of at the beginning? How did you begin your career in audio making? So I actually didn't start in audio, and that's okay. the strangest thing. When I tell people, I actually started in the camera department. Really? So like actually your tweet last night about how many cameras do you own, yep. I wanted to answer, uh-huh. but it came out to something close to 80 cameras. <laughs> like I actually own, yeah. between my wife and I, probably close to like 120 cameras. Oh my goodness. It's a massive what, collection. What do you do with them? Are they on display? Do you have them in a bag? We have them in display. Uh, cool. Our living room is covered in cameras. And and we don't even have space for them all. I mean, 120 cameras adds up. Yeah, totally. But I've got everything from like 100-year-old wooden brownie cameras that mm-hmm. are like from 1917. Wow. Early, early cameras. beautiful. To the stuff that just came out like a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And everything in the middle. And I try to collect like signature pieces mm-hmm. from different lines, from different brands that may not Leicas? be around. Some old M cameras? I Those don't have any Leicas. Like <laughs> even old Leicas. Like you can get like a 60-year-old Leica. I swear they go back up in price. They do. I have a M3. <laughs> my my great-uncle gave it to me. It's kind of like a, a family heirloom in a way. He was the only owner of it. He has the receipt that he gave me oh, as fantastic. well. He paid uh, 1250 for it in 1964. And uh, I still got it. So I, I'm on actually the hunt for a Leica. Uh, it's a part of my kit, but it's not going to be a traditional Leica. I don't want the M series. Okay. Because again, that's way too mainstream for sure. my collection. Sure. I want the Instastax Leica. Oh, wow. I'm not familiar with they that. They make one. their own version of an Instastax camera. It's essentially an M90 for everyone mm-hmm. listening at home who's the photography side. Instastax N90, but all Leica'd out. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that's what I really want. It's yes. like a $400 in stacks. Yeah, yeah. And those things should only be like 50 bucks. <laughs> but I still want it. But it's made by a German person in... Uh, handmade probably. Handmade, yeah. You know, rubbed on with the special cloths that, that they do. Of I course. don't know. They've got actually a fantastic video uh, for anyone who's listening who's like a Leica fanboy or just loves and wants to be a Leica fanboy. Yeah. They have a video on their YouTube channel of the making of a Leica. Mm-hmm. And the, the the scrapbook that you get when you buy the special edition Leica, mm-hmm. and they go through, and it's like four minutes, no talking. Of it's course. just the sounds of the machines, the sounds of the leather being pressed. Oh, it's like ASMR stitched. for leather for it is, Leica. It is and they, exactly, and it is amazing to watch. Go take a look at it. It's like uh, Leica being built on uh-huh. YouTube. Watch it. It is fantastic. The sound design in that video also is just immersive because yeah. you feel like you're in the factory next to the worker who is hand making every part it's amazing oh it's fantastic so <clears> i the, s- the sensors they get from sony that they put in there but yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a really nice a7s3 <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh but anyways back to your story so you- i started in camera in the sense of like when i went to school i thought i was going to be a dp Mm-hmm. As everyone who goes to film school does. And you're from Texas. So, so I went to community college. Uh-huh. Year three of community college, I said, you know, this probably is not working out so well. Uh-huh. I had, <laughs> I think I had like a two point something GPA. Uh-huh. Not good. <laughs> and I was like, okay, maybe I should start applying for work and I don't think I'm going to graduate. So that's exactly what I did. I applied for a job at a radio station with a legendary DJ by the name of uh, Kid Craddock. Uh-huh. Um, and I became the first ever video producer 
in radio full-time that was my job wow make videos for the radio that doesn't make any sense no (laughs) and they came to realize after hiring me that didn't make a lot of sense either yeah but we were then stripping the audio off and those were gonna be like rolling kind of segments for the radio show that they could play zany little bits as well as they came to realize during the radio show itself there wasn't a lot for me to do so we started a live webcast in 2007 and it was I think the resolution was like 240p. Of course. We're yeah. talking like the size of a postage stamp resolution. That was, I mean, I think 480p was still the max resolution on YouTube for if years. If you were lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Because you had to have serious bandwidth if you wanted to get that. Yeah. And I think we had a T1 line. Like we're mm-hmm. not even talking DSLR or DSL. Like it was just like high speed internet for corporations only kind of internet to do 240p wow live stream <laughs> um so Amazing. i hired to do that during the show and we did six security cameras uh and we kind of wired it up to like a rolling uh video mixer for d like vjs uh-huh. and we had a dvd recorder machine that recorded <laughs> it because we didn't have any special like tape decks or hard drives yeah. or anything like that and we ghetto rigged this kind of concept live studio space and that still wasn't enough for me to really do video for the radio mm-hmm. so they also had me start doing audio editing and that was my first forte in the true audio production in the real world outside of the college mm-hmm. space before that i had been doing like corporate shoots and interviews and internships and all that kind of things but this was like my first full-time salary job out of college nice didn't last too long i lasted a couple of years left that uh and i went to become a wedding shooter like and I, wedding videos or wedding photos? videos, yeah. So you're shooting on what little camcorders and stuff back uh, then? Oh, we or? were shooting 5D Mark IIs. Okay, so it was I was one of the 2008. Then it was here's here's how crazy into the the video space I really got. There's a book out there by Penguin Pub. No, it's Focal Publishing that is called like DSLR Cinema Handbook or something like that. And on the back cover is my name next to Philip Bloom's name. Nice as people who wrote. Uh, the the outline for this book uh-huh we were hanging out uh back then philip bloom was just starting to get a name it's uh-huh. 2008 uh-huh. and the 5d mark ii had just come out and a mm. lot of people were jumping on that canon eos life yeah vincent lafre was big and huge all that stuff and i jumped on the pentax kx <laughs> because it could do 24p Ah, nice. Before the 7d came out before the 7d came out and i was yeah. like 24p is way more important than 1080 yeah. And I did 720p uh, 24 times nice. a second. And I was all in the forums on hv20.net. We're talking the old internet forums. Yeah, yeah. And well, a, I still use DVX user. DVX user, absolutely. Yeah. So all that was existing. And there was like a side category. The idea of DSLRs needing their own forums and websites, that's so silly. Yeah. And so Focal Publishing, there wasn't a lot of us doing it back then. Mm-hmm. And Focal Publishing contacted me along with a bunch of other people. And they're like, we're writing a book about this idea of DSLRs being used as cinema cameras. Mm-hmm. Do you want to like help write the, the outline for the book? So yeah, there's a weird college textbook probably being used <laughs> in colleges right now that my name is on the back of. <laughs> as we're all switching to mirrorless now. As we're all switching to mirrorless yeah. and, and single sensor cinema cameras like, are affordable. You're like 720p for uh, for 24 frames per second, everybody. Let's get on the Let's get on it. Let's get on Pentex. Come yeah. on. And now Canon's rumored to have an 8K mirrorless camera soon. So we'll see or about that. Or that magical sharp camera 
that uh, yeah. was 8K that yeah. never existed. I want to <laughs> point out the fact that I called that when it happened. <laughs> no, no. I I met up with him at CES. They have it. I'm going to meet but them. But I think in, is it uh, 8K photography? No, no I think it was like 6K video. No, it's 8K. It's is 8K it 8K? 30. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I played with it. I did uh, I did a whole video But when's on it. it coming out? Like, that's the thing. Oh, yeah, like, I don't know. It's not real. No, I don't know. And they were like, I think a lot of people were like, it's going to be $4,000. I'm like, there's no way that's going to be four grand. <laughs> we'll no. see. The problem is uh, I was talking to the Sharp guy this year at CES, and he said when we came out with this, the Blackmagic 6K didn't exist yet. And so now that it does, it's kind of like I think the company is a little like, eh, you know. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I think Sharp, the last cameras they kind of made were those point and shoot mm-hmm. kind of uh, a step up above disposables, but not... <laughs> Like they, the same, they make a lot of camcorders, so they're they're yeah, in the camcorder game. They're they're really kind of an interesting company. They, they shouldn't be stepped out, but for the first like mirrorless DSLR thing to be eight K four grand, yeah. I'm like, uh, when when it happens, I'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Knock on wood, right? <laughs> Knock on wood. Of course, I, everyone wants to see it happen. But uh, so so you you get you get out of the the radio thing. You're doing weddings. Get, you're doing shooting weddings, with DSLRs. Doing DSLRs. Doing very well. Traveling the world. Yeah. Shooting with DSLRs on on wedding teams of like four shooters for a wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were doing like three million dollar weddings. That's amazing. Amazing. Uh, you know. What was the name of your company? It wasn't my company. That was the weird part. Like it was a firm that I got hired by to be their lead shooter. Okay. And but when we were doing them, like we we were. I don't think the business is still around either. It's called Hakeem Sons. Mm-hmm. And we did the big Indian weddings, mm-hmm. the big Jewish weddings, like really big mega events that lasted yeah. like seven days. Yeah. They weren't just a basic like Protestant wedding. You get married <laughs> and four hours later, everyone's <laughs> like, cool, is it over? Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. These were like seven day mega weddings. Totally. I can and relate. I don't know if you know, but I've shot over 300 weddings in my career. And hells yeah. Yeah, I shot Indian weddings, you yep. know, Jewish weddings, Catholic weddings. Those are the most fun. The thing with weddings, uh, and I honestly, we had a very similar, you experienced the same things I experienced because we were shooting on camcorders and then the 5D came out and my buddy who owned the company, he was like, I could sell our Sonys and buy a 5D. Uh-huh. And so he did. And we were one of the only companies in Nashville that were shooting on DSLRs in 2009. Yeah, if you and, jumped on it early, you got well. We business. got some we got some Pinterest business because our videos yeah. kind of went viral on Pinterest, and that led to some pretty big opportunities. Um, so very similar, and I got to experience that. And the cool thing about weddings was the fact that you were telling the same story every single week, which obviously got kind of boring after a while. Can be, but. You're able to get creative with that same storyline that, you know, there's the setup process, the marriage, and then the party at the end. Like, how can we make this better? How can we make it more interesting? How can I infuse some different techniques? And we would kind of each shoot, we would have like, today, we're only going to shoot on prime lenses and I'm going to master this one prime or Mm -hmm. today we're going to bake in the image. We're not going to shoot flat. We're going to make sure the color looks good in camera so that we don't have to do any color grading, color grading in post, you know? I think a lot of people poo-poo wedding shooters. In reality, though, the cinematography, some of the best cinematographers I've known throughout my career were actually wedding shooters because, like you said, it's predictable. Every single week's the same thing. And if you're good, 
you get a 2.8 on a full frame sensor and you're at 200 mils <laughs> uh-huh. and that bride is walking down the aisle and you're manually pulling that focus. Because there was no a- AF There was no then. AF yeah. back then. And you, what mm-hmm. was, was so bad. Mm-hmm. So of course you pulled manual focus. And if you got her walking a hundred foot aisle all the mm-hmm. way to the front and you nailed focus every single, you know, every single step. Yeah. And then you exhausted your breath because you held it the whole time she's walking down and you just get that exuberant feeling in your heart of, that's my shot. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I nailed that. Yeah. That was money. You know, it was funny is you bringing that up. It makes me think for the first time ever that autofocus is limiting creativity because you gotta I, be I, center. Use, I use it all the time uh, with dual pixel autofocus mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and when I'm filming myself for a YouTube video, it obviously comes in handy. But I think if you're a shooter relying always on autofocus, it doesn't, it kind of, you're giving yourself... The computer is making creative choices that you should be making. It's making a lot of them. And I, I think there was someone who literally just last night on Twitter posted up, uh, what was it? Uh, half my half my videos out of focus, but it's about the content, right? That was me. That was you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And I deleted the video because I was so embarrassed. And that's the thing is a lot <laughs> of this autofocus, even the really good cameras autofocused out there, uh-huh. they're still center pixel. Yeah. If your subject is rule of thirds, you're trying to obey cinema guidelines that mm-hmm. have been baked into your head mm-hmm. with a hundred years of cinema, your autofocus camera can't keep up. Yeah. There is no other pixel as fast as the center one. And they keep making the center one faster and faster and faster. And we're going to get some snappy new lenses on here and all that stuff. And yet at the end of the day, if you want to just pan slightly to the left, yeah. the camera just becomes completely stupid. <laughs> and all of a sudden, your background is sharp as heck. Well, so the tweet that you're referring to, I shot just a talking head. is 15-minute long talking head about the new Fuji camera. And I was holding a camera, and the Canon system has eye detect, so I was relying on that. Right. But the lens of the camera I was holding was mistaken for an eyeball from the camera right because it's round and high contrast and it goes oh that's an eyeball so throughout the whole thing every time i hold up the camera it just kind of clicks into it and because i didn't have a shooter i was just like yeah yeah you know i've done tests this thing is pretty pretty good Mm -hmm. also i'm wearing glasses as well so that doesn't help either but right um and if you're in a low contrast environment you're not properly lit mm -hmm. it falls apart pretty quickly and i i ended up unlisting the video because i was like yeah i was being a little up up uh, what's the word opportunistic because i was just trying to get some views on a top popular topic that's inst- okay instead of uh having some meat on the bone with it i don't know maybe i'm getting too much in my head i'm i'm gonna stop looking at i i was feeling like i've been watching too much youtube in my niche and comparing myself to other people and i'm kind of almost getting a little depressed about it because I'm not doing what so-and-so is doing or whatever. That's a whole nother no, topic. You should but... definitely... No, no, it's not an whole other topic. I think it's important because there's so many people out there listening to this that are, like you said, you got real popular on Pinterest when you were a wedding shooter. Yeah. We did the exact same thing. We were killing it on Vimeo. Yes. Which is the platform for wedding shooters. If you yep. want to go like see some amazing cinematography... Get off YouTube, get yes. over to Vimeo. Yes. Because everyone who's like a true DP mm-hmm. is on Vimeo. Totally. And it's not so much because the platform is catering or better or anything. It's just how it's traditionally always been. Yeah. And because of that stereotype, if you go over there, you can see some really good cinematography. 
And you start to compare yourself. You start to see yourself. You're like, oh, they did a cool thing with a ring shot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to copy that. Yeah. I'm going to do that thing with the shoes where they bend them sideways and up in the, the silhouette, the shoes, and do some rings on it. And you start just literally just mirroring other people too much when you start to absorb and, and look outward. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just look inward and you're like, what is something I want to do? Yeah. What does it make me happy? Mm-hmm. And I think more and more I'm finding my own personal self doing that. That's good. I'm not too worried about, uh, I get in trouble a lot <laughs> because I say stuff. Yeah. But me too. <laughs> a part of me is just like, that's okay. Because I'm actually being me for once. Mm-hmm. And that's why I love curb a, your enthusiasm so yeah, much. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people in your life that may not have your best interest and you don't recognize it in the moment until after. Um, but you're always trying to copy them. They're always trying to do what they do. Mm-hmm. But if you just be yourself and just find people that like you and want to like like your content for whatever it is, if you're a photographer out there, if you're a videographer, if you're a musician, find your niche and just find enjoyment in that and you're going to be way more satisfied totally. than always trying to like chase that next carrot. Yeah. Speaking of carrots, back into your career there. I don't know if that <laughs> wasn't much of a segue, but uh, <laughs> wedding shooting, you, you quit that after a couple of years. Quit right? that after a couple of years what and happened? went to reality TV. So tell me about that process. So did you move to LA during this time period? No, I was still all doing in... all still in Dallas. Really? So for anyone out there who's listening, who's like, I need to move to LA to get a big career. No, there's plenty of work. Yeah. Reality TV for one is one of those kinds of shoots that happens in a lot of smaller markets mm-hmm. because it's too expensive to shoot reality TV in LA. Sure. The permitting process, everyone wants money. Just trying to park a car in Los Angeles, <laughs> no less a crew of 20 people. No kidding. Yeah. Right. It just gets really expensive. So they like to do those shoots around the rest of the country. Yeah. You um, know, Duck Dynasty the was Duck not Dynasty in LA. was uh, not in LA. Plus half those shows now are in Alaska. But for a hot <laughs> period of time... Texas was the place you wanted to be. Uh huh. So, what shows were you working on back then? If you I can worked say? on Doomsday Preppers. Nice. I worked on a show. I've worked on a lot of these home and garden shows uh-huh. that are like, this house is for sale, or this is an amazing backyard. Uh-huh. This is a really cool pool. Uh-huh. And that was actually the name of the show Cool Pools. <laughs> Uh, a lot of that footage got recycled for another reality show called Amazing Water Homes. Oh my God. These are not homes necessarily on water. Uh-huh. These are homes that have really cool pools or near water. <laughs> okay. And this is like programming that Home and Garden likes to put on. Yeah. Like HGTV. Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Like who's watching Home and Garden Saturday night, right? But they got to have new shows. Sure. New episodes. Can't just do reruns all the time. <laughs> so they would contract, yeah. you know... These terrible shows yeah. that essentially is, cool, did you just add a new backyard You know, installation, some kind of pond, some kind of really nice shrubbery or maze or this uh, pergola, something like that? Uh-huh. We're going to come out to your backyard and just do some nice, sexy pans. <laughs> some we're slow gonna, pans. We're going to do some slow pans. So you're working on audio back then? Uh, like running no, sound I was, or you're shooting it? I was shooting. Okay. I, I you know, I'm, I'm not going to brag, but I've got a really nice tilt. <laughs> I can rack focus between two bushes. <laughs> what were you guys shooting on at that time? At that time, it was the original C three hundred. I was gonna, I was gonna and guess that our jib camera, uh-huh. uh huh, which we were using the pole cam setup. We were using the five D. No, perfect. Yeah. Um. So the, the two cut together. Were you 5D, shooting nice thirty frames or sixty or twenty four? Thirty. Okay. All for television. Yeah. So I was thinking. So it was ten eighty p thirty. 
and actually, I said it's 30. It could have been 60i now that that's, I really think about that's it. That's what I was assuming, but 30 works. Or we well. were like interplating it down the line or something like that. That I can't remember, but I was shooting it. I was gripping on it, mm-hmm. DITing it, um, camera assisting, depending on whatever it was. It was all in the camera department. It's a pretty though. stripped down crew. Very stripped down crew for those HGTV shoots, for sure. It's like four or five people okay. on a crew. And one of them's your producer. And they're not really hands-on. Mm-hmm. They're making sure the, the the story of the backyard is being told. They got a little clipboard, and they're just going yep. down the list. List. They got shots to worry about. They got talent release forms. They got things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and setting up your camera is not one of them. That's your job. No matter how hot it is and how tired you are. <laughs> um, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's what I signed up for. It's what I thought I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Uh-huh. And then uh, my wife gets a call to move to L.A. for a show. What does your wife do? Uh, she's a producer. Uh, so she got a call to go work on a History Channel show. Cool. And in the middle of our move to Los Angeles, the show calls her up. Halfway, like we're in the middle of like New Mexico in the U-Haul. And like you were, the you were driving. Okay. We were driving. It wasn't like you were in the process. You were actually... In the process. <laughs> in it. <laughs> in it. And we get the call and uh, show's canceled. Wow. There's no job for her in Los Angeles. And we too, we're unemployed moving to a brand new city. Oh with gosh. the highest rent possible <laughs> in all of the United States. Yeah. And it's like, cool, what do we do? So that first week, like, I think we moved to Los Angeles with like a thousand whole dollars in our bank account. It was enough to get by for the month and not pay rent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, we didn't know how we were going to survive that very first month. We got some work. You know, we did the thing where she went from being a producer in Dallas to moving to Los Angeles. And now she's taking PA work mm-hmm. because that's what it takes to get the bills paid. Yeah. I started to take grip work. I started to take PA work. Whatever it was to get the bills paid. That is cool. You're able. I sacrificed. It's cool. You guys were able to stay in your industry and not work at Starbucks or something like that. But we had enough friends over the years of working different reality shows mm-hmm. that we could call up, and they'd be like, "Well, we're not hiring producers. You're not really an LA producer. You're more of a, a Dallas producer. We hired as a local." Yeah. And there was always that attitude of of that. So it was very hard for us to move past that. Mm. Uh, but what immediately happened for us was when we moved to Los Angeles, we had a new zip code. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, we got a zip code that said, we can fly you back to Texas. And that's immediately what happened. <laughs> the first month we're in LA. Wait, what do you mean? Because got, you're an LA person, it's got, cool to fly you out? It's cool to fly you out. That's yeah. what, that's all of a sudden this, this, this mindset happened in the reality TV world. Oh, you're a producer. Awesome. Yeah. We have a show back in Dallas. Oh, do you? <laughs> awesome. I wish I could have just stayed there. Sure. I'll take the gig. But because your zip is in LA now, you're a big time LA producer. I'm big time. They'll fly us out. And it's yeah. like, great. Okay. That's hilarious. And it was the show Fixer Upper. Yep. <laughs> back on Home and Garden Channel. Uh-huh. I didn't ever left. That's a that's a big show though. That's a huge show, mm-hmm. and my wife was an associate producer uh, in the field, and I was hired as a DIT and a runner for the show. So you guys got to carpool. We got the carpool on the to airplane. work every single day because we just stayed back uh, with some folks that we knew in Dallas. So we saved yeah. some money up. Yeah. Figured okay, we're gonna do the LA thing again, right? With way more money saved up mm-hmm. and way more plans laid out. Mm-hmm. And. It was in the in-between period, that one month that I was in L.A., before I flew back out to Texas, which I, I was on a set, and I'm gripping. And it's a hard show. It's hot. 
the middle of summer in Los Angeles. It's like 110 degrees outside, no wind, mm -hmm. just beating on you. And I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. As a grip, I'm just being worked to death on this little short film. Yeah. And the sound guy comes in like three hours late to call. <laughs> I didn't know at the time it was late. You know, when we did calls in Dallas, you know, as a wedding shooter, as a corporate videographer shooter, you bring everything and everyone just shows up. Yeah. But in Los Angeles, they do the staggered call sheets because uh -huh. everyone's expensive. So if I can shave off your time, maybe I can save a little dollar. Sure. So he shows up three hours late to call. I'm already setting up all lights. I'm already sweating, completely soaked. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking going, who is this guy? <laughs> Showing up late, lazy guy. And I look, he's got this ancient microphone, an ancient mixer, and a basic H4. <laughs> An H, like a Zoom H. Yeah, the original. It's with the terrible right? preamps in it. Yeah. With the terrible preamps, but he's pre, he's got a nicer mixer, kind of like feeding it, so it's not so bad. Okay. And I'm just like, damn, like I want, <laughs> want, I want this guy's job. Because when I moved to LA, you know, you yeah. and I talking about 5D. Uh huh. I originally started doing the whole, I'm going to be a cameraman in LA. Yeah. I've got a 5D. I've got some cameras. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Uh -huh. And I'd apply for a gig and they'd go, well, do you have a red? <laughs> no, I don't have a red. I have a 5D. You, had, you you wanted to hire a DP. Oh, no, we were hiring a DP that, that was going to bring a red camera. Wow. Yeah, the, everything shifted when people started owning gear. When the Scarlet came out, uh, you can now own your own red, essentially. A mm -hmm. lot of that stuff became way more affordable. And then you had used 300s coming out on the market and the 300, Mark or the II. 100 Mark II. And all, you had all these great cameras. So if you were a 5D shooter... In a smaller market, mm -hmm. I moved at like the worst time to make the move because <laughs> gear was about to shift. Uh -huh. It's about to become very affordable and my 5D was about to become very obsolete. Yeah. And everyone in LA kind of already knew that. Yeah. And yeah. no one told me. <laughs> <laughs> so it became very apparent I wasn't going to be able to, to, to be a camera person. I just started taking those grip positions. Mm -hmm. And while I'm taking the grip position and the sound guy's there and I'm just like, how much are you getting on this? You coming in late and all this old stuff. What are you getting? He goes, oh, I'm getting full rate. Oh, wow. And I'm like, this is a short film. I'm busting my butt for minimum wage, uh -huh. sweating all day, working much longer hours than this guy is. He's getting a full rate <laughs> with that ancient gear? <laughs> yeah. And he said, he goes, and I, I will never forget this. Sound doesn't roll for free. Oh, I was right. like, oh. There's a brotherhood here. There's there's camaraderie. There there's a community, and there's a lack of of sound mixers. Just <laughs> for everyone listening at home, there is a lack of sound mixers. So like if you're if you're like I really like doing sound, but I don't want to commit to it because it's not my passion. Maybe you do have the passion. There's there's people out there that like yeah they need sound mixers. There's way more camera people than there are sound people, mm -hmm. and every gig has to have a sound person. Mm -hmm. So think about that one just for a second. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the math I did in my head that day. <laughs> and I realized from there on out, I'm going to be a sound person. So there I am. I get this phone call. I have to fly back to Texas for Fixer Upper, the be a DIT and, and a runner. And immediately in my head, I'm like, if I get back to LA, I need to be a sound person. Mm -hmm. I got a couple of months on this show. I'm going to glue myself because during the run of a production for a reality TV, everyone's doing everything except for the DIT. Mm -hmm. which is why I was DIT runner. They had me like run errands and some other things. And then the rest of the day, like the last hour and the, then three hours after everyone else wraps, I'm still dumping cards, mm -hmm. making sure data is, is protected. So during the day I had nothing to do. 
can't go anywhere. I'm stuck on set. Mm-hmm. So I glued myself to the sound mixer and said, teach me everything. The guy, the guy that was running it? The guy running the sound for Fixer Upper, the biggest show on HGTV. Mm-hmm. So that was my like apprenticeship into location sound as a dedicated sound person. Like I had backgrounds in corporate video and in the wedding world sure. of... Set up a boom. Set and up a boom. You, you, you set it up on a stand. You run it to your camera. You check levels. All the, the basics. Or the zoom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you put up a lav, you know, the basic lavaliers that every videographer has to own. Yeah. Because the budgets may not always dictate for a sound person. That kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. And that is, at the time, was what everyone kind of owned. Yeah. So when I met the sound person and it got me excited about sound. And then when I did this uh, makeshift apprenticeship on the backside of someone else's reality shoot... When I got back to LA, first thing I did was like, cool, that's what I do now. And I read everything. I started to, to hang out with other people, boom opping for other people to learn how they did their stuff mm-hmm. and learn and learn and learn. And then about a year and a half later, like there I am. I'm, that's what I do. That's great. And for the past five years, that's what I've done is just sound because I found it to be a family that really... I can reach out to and they're way more supportive than you can ever imagine. That's awesome. Because in a way they're kind of the, uh, I love some of the memes that you post on your Twitter account. Um, what's the one with the cat or something? It's like the, it's like the director, the DP. Oh, and the, the, the the sound guy is like, the sound guy's like the sad dog in the corner because the owner's like petting the cat and all loves the cat and the dog's like, what am I like? Like nothing to you? Yeah. So yeah. like the, the director's like rubbing the DP's back or something in the meme, but then the sound mixer in the back is like, "Don't you like my work?" You know? Yeah. <laughs> but the that's the thing about audio for video, especially, is like it has to be there, obviously, and it has to be good. It's half the signal. It's, I think when you say it like that, it's half yeah. the signal. Yeah. You immediately hear in your head, "Oh yeah, we're not concentrating enough on that. We're so worried about visual." Mm-hmm. That we don't think too much about microphones. We don't think too much about audio or even wearing headphones on set. Like there's so many times I've been on a shoot where videographers will have to be shooting. And I'm like, cool, you're almost every new mirrorless camera now has a headphone jack. Yeah. Use it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah, it's it's there. Might as well. And every time that I've, I mean, obviously when I'm on camera, I'm not wearing headphones. But um, when I'm operating and you use headphones... It's very often that you're like, oh, here, here, you know what? Let's move over here. I can hear something that you're not hearing because mm-hmm. I'm wearing these headphones. <laughs> Absolutely. Everything you might hear is like amplified. Uh-huh. And I know exactly what's actually being recorded. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I say all the time, you wouldn't use a camera without a monitor. Yeah. I say that, but like the new red doesn't come with a monitor. The <laughs> yeah. Z-cam doesn't come with a monitor. Sure, sure. Well, that's because they're assuming that cubes. you're going to plug it up and yeah. use a, an external. <laughs> but you would never like just use the new, you know, Z-cam. And not never plug anything into it. You'd be just pointing it like an old school GoPro. Yeah, exactly. That's just not how we operate. We <laughs> we like to see what we do. Of course. And the same thing with sound. Mm-hmm. And I think more people, as soon as you hear half the signal, you go, oh, yeah, let's 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 do something. Well, something always, more than we're doing now. I always heard the metaphor, if you took a blind person and a deaf person to a, a film and they watched the film, the blind person would come away having a better understanding of the story than the deaf person because story is told through the dialogue and through, you know, the, the sounds around the characters. There is so much sound design. Like, okay, take this. If you're, if you're out there listening, uh, think to, about the, your favorite horror film. 
You know, you may not like horror. It may not be your genre, but think about horror. You can close your eyes all you want because you don't want to see the gore, the gush, the blood, all that stuff. But you still know what's going on. Yeah, the violin strings. You can hear it in your ears. You can hear that wonderful sound design of any kind of blood or or slashing, all that kind of stuff. It comes through. Oh, yeah. You will hear it even if you squint your eyes as much as you want. And you're just like, I don't want to see it. Yeah. Oh, you still, still you still know what went happened. Absolutely, that's a good point. I'm sure directors, when they're making horror films, it's like when they shut their eyes because they're too scared. I still want them to be scared through the sound design. Absolutely, right? I want them to be scared. <laughs> but basically, what I'm trying to say is because it, it, people don't put so much emphasis on it, maybe that's why there's such a camaraderie with those types of people in your industry. Because I think so, they're kind of the afterthought of the industry. I think but not so. really. I mean, um, right? I, I don't th- want to be that mean about no, it. No, but here's here's the thing. Like, let's take a couple of the movies that are like major Oscar picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that really stands out to me is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Who, sadly, I don't think he's going to get Best Picture. Uh huh. It's probably not. <laughs> There's a lot of other great ones. Uh, but let's take him for example. Uh, he's been working with the exact same sound mixer. All the way back since *Dust Till Dawn*. Oh wow! So how many films is that then? That's six or six or seven. Okay. Uh, he's done what? Something. Ten now? Nine or ten? Nine? Films? I think like we're up. I think he's like, oh, I'm gonna retire at ten. And it looks like we may be getting a little too early to there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, I think he's been with the same guy, and that's even though some of those weirder ones where he was like co-directing with Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. A lot of that, like *Dust Till Dawn*, was still Marculano. Mm-hmm. So when you find a director who who is dedicated to the craft, mm-hmm. who is dedicated to not just picture but the audio in his movies, you know, really cool things can happen. I mean, we can name every Tarantino movie he's ever mm-hmm. made. Mm-hmm. How many directors out there can say that? Mm-hmm. You know, every little detail has been put into the movie. Yeah, that's amazing. So... You get into audio, you move back to LA. I mean, I, I assume you kind of slowly acquire some newer equipment and stuff Very like that. slow. Um, I bought a lot of stuff I, I probably shouldn't have, and I bought a lot of stuff I should. Mm-hmm. And sadly, I still own it all. <laughs> <laughs> the cool thing about audio uh, is when, you're, when your head is in the, the camera gear world and you're looking at numbers like $3,000 for a camera body, you know, 2,500 for a lens, you know, and then you look over and it's like, oh, this sure mic that everybody is using, it's 297. That's great. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the other thing I think a lot of people kind of don't realize is uh, good audio does not need to cost like thousands like your lens. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of people fear it because they're like, well, I don't need to buy like all these major, major devices like, uh, you know, big giant audio bags and big audio carts like you see in the movies uh for a lot of people they just need better than probably what they're doing in all mm-hmm. honesty mm-hmm. and to tie it in a little bit to what i do now with deity is because my background was so heavily influenced by corporate video by wedding uh live event kind of shooting by being in the camera department for so long a lot of what we do now and what I design are products that kind of cross Mm -hmm. between professional location sound mixing kind of products and products that if what you do day in and day out is talking head interviews and one man band kind of work, this is going to work 
really, really well for you. Because you know that world. And it was designed for you. Yeah. Um, like when we designed our, our mic, the D3 Pro, with the gain knob on the back, you know, two years ago, it was designed because DSLRs and mirrorless cameras don't have any audio control. Mm-hmm. You were diving into some cameras as deep as five menus mm-hmm. just to make a minor adjustment. And it's like, oh, do you do you want to tell the bride that she needs to stop reading her vows and crying real fast because she's being too quiet and you need to turn the audio up? <laughs> no, you don't want to tell her to the, the stop crying? But I need to get into my menu. Yeah. <laughs> and it just became very apparent as years of shooting weddings that yeah. audio needed to get improved. It was a lot of drop mics, a mm-hmm. lot of on-camera stuff that you plugged into a camera and you prayed uh-huh. that it was going to be good, uh-huh. and you had no idea. Yeah. Uh, but now they have headphone jacks. Now they have VU meters on the back of the cameras. Yeah. They, they've leaned a little into the audio space, mm-hmm. but no one's going with them. Mm-hmm. Unless you want to buy these giant, bulky DSLR audio mixers that go either under your camera... And they're the size of like gigantic batteries, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like the battery grip handle that no one wants to operate with when they're shooting. <laughs> yeah. You know, video photographers love those things. Yeah. Videographers hate them. Yeah. <laughs> they're bulky. They're big. I don't care how much battery life you give me. I want to be nimble. Yeah. But essentially what you have to do now is add those gigantic mixers onto it. And we were like, that's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> What's it really doing for you? It's a Y split and it's a mixer. Uh-huh. What else is it doing? Nothing. Let's just put all that into the microphone. Yes, I love it. And a lot of it comes from the fact that I was frustrated. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Like, we don't like to think of of people who do creative kind of work as being frustrated in the sense of, like, frustrated with the status quo of what's available to them. Mm-hmm. But, like, for you, you wanted to do a podcast here about creators. Mm-hmm. Because you didn't like what was out there. You wanted to do it because you thought something's missing that's an element that we want to highlight with our podcast. Yeah. And it's the same thing with when we approach design work now in my day-to-day life is there's a lot of products that I pitched to other companies over the years when I was like, cool, I really like your product. I was sitting at a trade show just like you and I talking at Cinegear. Yeah. You get to talk to manufacturers. And I would tell them, I'm like, hey, your thing's cool, but you know like this sucks over here, right? Uh And they're like, well, you're just not using it right. And I'm like, no, that's the problem with your mindset. <laughs> yeah. It's not, I'm not using it right. It's you don't know how your customers use your products. Because your engineers aren't using it like you are in the field. Or they're, they're engineers who've never been in the field once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done consulting for brands when they realized really quick uh, that that wasn't going to fly. That mm-hmm. wasn't going to sell products off their shelves. That wasn't going to elevate their brand. I'm interrupting this podcast to remind you guys to please leave a star rating and review in the Apple Podcast Player. Based on the information that we have on this show, the majority of you guys actually listen in Apple Podcasts. And for anybody curious, number two is Spotify and number three is Overcast, which is my personal favorite. But even if you use any other app, get a hold of an iPhone and leave a rating and review on this show. It really means a lot to us. If you're wondering why podcasts ask you to do this, it's really based on the algorithm and the way that the 
Apple Podcast app works. Because podcasts aren't shared like a YouTube video, for example, it really relies on word of mouth and ratings and reviews to give it basically a good point score that Apple then sees and says, hey, a lot of people left a positive rating and review on the show, so we will serve it to more people in the discoverability tab and stuff like that. So basically, anybody who's interested in photography in the future, if they're not subscribed to the Golden Hour podcast, Apple Podcasts might suggest, hey, you might be interested in this based on the fact that you guys left positive and good reviews or negative. You can leave a negative review if you don't like the show. Totally get it. So thank you again, guys, for listening every single week and for considering doing the rating and review for us. I know a lot of our Android listeners are probably rolling their eyes at this whole thing. It's okay. I have a Google Pixel and I like it. All right, enough of this little ad break. Let's get back to my conversation with Andrew. Well, let's talk about that more. I mean, you, you switch over to doing audio production. Um, I know you started a blog or something like that. Can you talk about that and touch on? So that also comes out of frustration. Yeah. And that was at the time, uh, was this four or five years ago, if I wanted to learn about the latest wireless microphone, and I wanted to learn about the one that's like $3,000, mm-hmm. you know, the really nice ones, not the, the consumer, not the basic, the really nice ones. You couldn't read about it. You go to the manufacturer's website mm-hmm. and be like, cool, I learned exactly what they wanted me to learn. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs> and Curtis Judd wasn't I, doing I don't, his stuff yet. <laughs> uh, he <laughs> was. Uh, but at the same time, like Curtis was one person. Yeah. And his channel wasn't the mega massive channel that it is now. He was still also doing cameras. Mm-hmm. He was also still doing lights. And he would do microphones every now and then. Now he's definitely leaned way more into just lights and mics mm-hmm. and audio products in general, but there's way more development now today, I think, than there was five years ago mm-hmm. uh, or four years ago, I think, when we started that. And I, I just said, I'm tired. I'm tired of just learning what the manufacturers want mm-hmm. me to learn about their products. I want to start doing hands-on stuff, and I want people to know about this kind of stuff. So you started a website. What was it called? Wave Report. Uh-huh. Um, and we started to do a lot of DIY stuff. A lot of the stuff that like I learned when I was apprenticing and, and booming for other people. Mm-hmm. I was like, I never learned this in Dallas. Yeah. Even when I talked to sound mixers in Dallas, I didn't ever pick up on any of this kind of stuff. Yeah. When I was in college, we, you know, my college had a dedicated audio class. And it was two weeks of production and 10 weeks of Pro Tools. Hmm. <laughs> so cool. I can use Pro Tools, yeah. but I don't know how to put a lavalier on someone's chest. Yeah. So a lot of what we did on Wave Report kind of was fill in the gap kind of education. Mm-hmm. It was education, but it was also review centric. Nice. And it was reviewing a lot of the stuff that at the time I owned straight up. I was just like, I'm just going to start reviewing what I own. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start my own review site and not worry about trying to ask manufacturers for anything. Mm-hmm. No more betas, no more prototypes. I'm just going to do what I have in my bag, mm-hmm. in my in my hands. And that's how I got started. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people who are out there listening going, I want to become a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. And immediately with 10 subscribers, I'm going to start asking for the latest MacBook Pro. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. one, there's a lot of MacBook Pro videos. As you just talked earlier, you know, you're watching a bunch of people in, in the tech community on YouTube and you're like, I got to do what they do. And it's like, that's cool. But what about the weird companies that mm-hmm. have the weirdest products in the world? Yeah. You know, they're not getting the same kind of love. Yeah. Still can be very innovative. But I'll tell you, if if someone out there wants to find something about that item, mm-hmm. they're coming to you yeah. because you were the 
only voice talking. Yeah. And that's kind of how we started Wave Report was we're going to be the only person talking about this weird thing that we have mm-hmm. because this is the weird thing I came up with that worked for me. Yeah. And from there, that is kind of how I ran into Ted. Mm-hmm. They had a shotgun microphone over at Aperture that so they released. Let's set, set that up a little bit. So Ted Sim, uh, the president of Aperture Lighting Company, yep. you met him. And yeah, go ahead and tell he the story. He was here. very aware of our, our, our blog mm-hmm. because he was like, cool, there's actually someone out there reviewing microphones for the use of video. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Let's send him some gear. And actually, Ted was probably one of the very first people ever to send us stuff to review. Mm-hmm. We had never had a manufacturer send us stuff. So we're like, cool, shotgun microphone. And I reviewed it. And I was like, yeah, Ted, it's it's good. It's good for YouTube. And it, it, it wasn't a bad microphone. It just didn't have the it quality I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And Ted was taken back by that. He's like, what do you mean it doesn't have the it quality? And I'm like, it doesn't have the it. It doesn't, it doesn't have the ring, doesn't have the, the, the thing. And then I said, but you're also an LED lighting company. What are you doing making microphones? He goes, well, because we could. <laughs> and I was like, that's not a good reason. Like, what's the next? Is this a line? Is this a plan for this? What's the thing? And the kind of the inverse, the conversation kind of just kind of died there because it was one of those we don't know was the answer, and that was fine at the time. Two years later, the I don't know answer is still the answer, mm-hmm. and Ted's starting to realize that's not an answer that works. Uh huh. That, didn't they make like a, a shotgun mic as well? The Yeah, the Aperture Deity. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And he realized something more had to be done or nothing had to be done in the sense of like just kill it. Yeah. Because they were going to concentrate on lights. And it's a weird when a company has a lot of little oddball projects. You know, Sony can do it. Yeah. There's only one Sony. Sure. You know, you're not going to see... Any brand like Canon all of a sudden come out with a tripod. Canon's not coming out with LED lights. Canon's not coming out with microphones. Yeah. And if they did, everyone would be like, you know you're Canon, right? <laughs> well, That's they, weird. I think they do sell some random little accessories here and there. They but... do. But I don't think anyone's sitting there going, hey, dude, have you tried that new Canon on camera mic? <laughs> yeah. I think they sell it. And even Canon at this point, I don't think actually sells it anymore because they're bundling everything now with Mm -hmm. other brands in the boxes. Yeah, yeah. So Ted realized that's the route he's got to go. So he calls me up one day and goes, Andrew, you're the only person that gave us a negative review. (laughs) And even then, it wasn't like negative. It was just constructive. It's constructive. And he's like, you're the only person who just literally gave it to us honest. I said, well, okay, that's cool. What's up? He goes... (laughs) We're killing the microphone division. I said, oh, that's that's not the news I expected. He goes, well, what about this? We don't kill it. You run it. Wow. I said, really? He goes, yeah. Whole thing. What do you want to do with it? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. And it literally was like a 15-minute conversation in a coffee shop in downtown Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Where Ted goes, so uh, we have a booth. We already bought it for NAB, mm-hmm. just for microphones. Go do something. <laughs> and into the fire we ran, uh-huh. literally, because it has been nonstop 70 hours a week. Some days, seven days a week. Some days, I'm on for three weeks straight without a day off. Jeez. <laughs> and I'll tell you one thing. 
the weird, wacky journey that I've had in my career, uh-huh. all the weird stories and all that stuff, I am happier today than I've ever been in my life. That's awesome, man. Because I am doing something that truly I love to wake up to every single day. Mm-hmm. You're making you're making new products based off of what you know you would always want and things that other A people... A lot of that is exactly it. I mean, when... We, we joke around how, like, we're just making products because we're just having fun. A lot of it is, like, a giant wish list I've always had for myself. Mm-hmm. Then I'm just, like, tick boxing. Every single time we make a new product, it's like, cool. That was on my list of things I've always wanted personally. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted it, I knew there had to be at least a couple of other people out there in the world that thought like me. That's awesome. And that's that's what motivates us every single day to get up and and do what we do because... I think if you don't love that kind of passion for what you do, you're going to really kind of have to sit there and reevaluate a lot of life choices. Yeah. And I'm so happy that I got there this stage of my life. That's amazing. What, so what's it like going from being a, a, you know, a guy who has a blog and is doing sound mixing to now you're, you're, you've become kind of a boss to other people because you do have people that you're working with that, I do. I, I have a team managing. I have a team that looks at me and goes, cool. Is this on brand? Are we doing the vision? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is this, is this what Deity is about today? Is, is this video that we're releasing on our YouTube? Does it meet the standards that we are as, as people who, who put our name and stamp on approval on it? Is this the thing that we're proud of today? And yeah, I mean, it's, I've got the greatest team in the world because what started out with having to explain the vision every now and then because it's a little muddy because yeah. I'm not the best with my words. You know, my <laughs> mouth hole doesn't move very fast. I don't know about that. It's been a good conversation. Um, the, there are people now that can predict, like like Steve and Justin, mm-hmm. are some of the best people um, that I could ever ask to work with. You know, Justin comes out with these great ideas. He, he manages our YouTube channel as well as... Um, shoot some of the work for our commercials and product shots and all that stuff. And when it comes to a lot of the stuff now, it's like, Hey, Justin, what do you want to do? What do you want to do a YouTube video on? And he's like, because he's, he's got a background in camera, mm-hmm. you know, he's got a very similar background. His background's not sound. So for him to do sound one-on-one editing, he's learning every single episode. As I'm sitting in front of the camera, spewing out kind of concepts and theories and ideas and DIY tips and tutorials and all this kind of stuff. He's behind the camera learning. And at this point, the channel is being 100% managed by him because he's like, this is the next thing I want to learn about. Yeah. And I think our audience does too. And That's I'm awesome. Like, Let's do it, Justin. Let's yeah. go exactly that way. One thing that I love about both Aperture and Deity is the the YouTube channels. They're, they don't feel like a commercial. It's just education. And it just so happens to be about audio and lighting often. But... Um, that's really the, I mean, can you talk about that? You guys have a YouTube channel. It's an active channel. You're not necessarily promoting Deity mics. I mean, there are whole episodes we, we forget to talk about our microphones or uh-huh. any kind of our products. Yeah. Because to us, it is, there are days it feels like we have just a really cool YouTube channel with like the really best merch <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. The merch is the mics. We got really cool merch. Yeah. Um, I like that. And 
there are days that that's exactly what we just kind of want to be mm-hmm. because it's not about the sale. It's not about trying to push products. Yeah. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of videos where we don't talk about our products once. We use them. You can hear them. You can go, hey, Andrew sounds good on that microphone. Sure. <laughs> Maybe that would help my videos. Yeah. And if that's all you kind of once thought, that's fine. And if you never once thought that, okay. Mm-hmm. Did you learn something at least? Come on back. <laughs> We've got more things to talk about. Because for us, you know, audio only channel, talking about tips, tutorials, you'll get a, a YouTuber who may have, they could have close to 2 million subs and they'll do a video about audio and be lucky to hit 20,000. <laughs> and they, as a professional YouTuber who's trying to manage, maybe they have their own employees. Maybe mm-hmm. they're just trying to make a living at YouTube. They look at those kinds of videos and go, cool, but when I talk about the new Fuji camera, when I talk about the new Sony or our Canon, I got 150,000 views. Mm-hmm. So we did our one audio video for the year. Good job, guys. <laughs> Never talk about audio again. It's worthless. <laughs> yeah. And then we look at that going, you guys don't want to talk about audio? That's fine. We will. <laughs> yeah, because you're not really there to I'm not to there to, to pay the my bills yeah, uh, based off just view counts. I'm not there to do clickbait. I'm not there to be outrageous and try to get a viral hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm there literally just to educate. You're not going to do a, a musical parody about deity mics? <laughs> I can't promise that. Uh, I, I can't promise that I won't. I'd be happy to help you uh, make a, a parody, a musical parody. That'd be fun. What's one of the biggest kind of mistakes that you see people making uh, when it comes to audio uh, for their for their video? Okay. I actually, I'll broaden this out so okay. that it has mass appeal to the whole audience. Great. For, for the photographers, for the sound people out there, and for the, the, the camera people. Mm-hmm. Simple as this. Don't buy more than you need. Beautiful. And I'm not just looking. <laughs> I'm looking right at you right no. now. <laughs> I Mr. have too much. I'm that gear guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, and I think what it is in general is a lot of people will buy that brand new 7200. Mm-hmm. They'll buy that new... $2,000 microphone because I like, oh, my audio has always been garbage, but maybe because this is so expensive, this will fix it. Mm-hmm. Instead of going back to tips and tutorials and techniques, mm-hmm. they look to gear to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good method, honestly. No. And this is, I make gear. I want you to buy my gear. Sure. <laughs> but by the way, don't buy my gear <laughs> because I don't want you to get into a situation where you're in debt. You've got credit card bills. You get those e-commerce sites now that like oh we'll we'll finance it for you yeah nothing down today 18 months yeah and you're like cool apr 24 (laughs) percent and it's like one you're gonna overspend yeah and two you're gonna get into a position where the first credit card bill arrives you've still got rent you've still got car payments you may have other debt you have accumulated Mm -hmm. right and you get a client who calls you Mm -hmm. and says oh this this we want to hire you and by the way, whatever your rate is, I'm only going to offer you 30% because I don't have that budget. Yeah. <laughs> whatever your rate is, imagine getting offered only 30% of it. Uh-huh. And you sit there and you you got the credit card bill in one hand and you say, yes. And that's a terrible place to have to be because you feel desperate. You feel trapped. Yeah. You feel like you've got to do all these other things and you stopped living your life. Mm-hmm. And I think in our industry, in photography, in video, and in sound, it's very common. 
Mm-hmm. It is very common to see people with uh, I mean, dozens and dozens of lenses. And it's like, how many can you really have hooked up at once, <laughs> yeah. right? You've got the primes and you've got the zooms. It's like, cool, yeah. I guess. Totally. And I understand there's people out there who can justify it. But for a lot of people out there who are hardworking, what I would call them the blue collar of the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. the wedding shooters, the videographers, the the portrait photographers and that kind of thing, the people who, who work hard to make their living, they can find themselves very trapped uh, by that mindset. And the best way to free yourself of all of that is to not overbuy. And if you have a bunch of crap you're not using, just go ahead and sell it on eBay and minimalize yourself. Yeah, right? I think uh, Caleb Pike is right now doing that. Yeah. Gigantic eBay sell. He's like, if I haven't touched it in over a year, it goes on eBay. Yeah, I love that. And I thought it was the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that. I mean, I feel like I should do that too. I have, you know, Marie, cameras. Marie Kondo everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say all that. I'm keeping my cameras. Yeah. My 120, 120 cameras, cameras. I'm keeping them all. Well, they're it, not going to get Marie Kondoed. Because that's a, they're a also collection. Antiques. They're antiques. It's a collection. It's not gear meant for working. Mm-hmm. Most of them I picked up out of Goodwill, honestly, for five, 10 bucks a piece. Yeah. Um, it's a piece of art that's in your home. Right? It kind of is now. At this point, it's my decor. Mm-hmm. What m- most people might spend on like a really nice painting or sculpture that they hang on their wall. I've done it with cameras. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's gear that you actually buy with the intent of making money from it, mm-hmm. and it's not making you money, mm-hmm. or you are now super indebted to the gear, you're like, oh, I bought the new 7200, and it cost me $2,500, and yet you're a portrait photographer who never gets off their 50. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that 7200 should be sold. Yeah. You don't need it. Yeah, you can rent it if you do need it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think some some rental shops tied to retail shops look into those policies of, oh, if you rent it, uh, that money goes toward your purchase. So if you've rented a mic for 50 or a, a, a lens or a microphone or whatever for $50 and you've done that four or five times, you could potentially may have like a a $200 credit mm-hmm. that you could apply to the purchase of that camera. So technically you've done payments, mm-hmm. but on your terms, not mm-hmm. on their terms with interest rate. Totally. And I think that's something that a lot of people do and they're looking to buy really expensive stuff to solve their problems. Mm-hmm. When maybe something cheaper with some good technique mm-hmm. could actually get the job done. Well, that speaks uh, true to me. That that hits me right at home. That's for sure. Because I'm the gear guy. Yeah, we were. This is the, this is an intervention. You invited me, but that's a big giant setup. There's an intervention banner hanging outside. With that being said, buy a bunch of stuff. Buy a bunch of stuff. Use my affiliate link down below. Uh, but no, I think there's a lot of people that you know they overbuy. And I think mm-hmm. that's the real problem. It's yeah. not necessarily, I'm not telling people, oh, you don't need that lens. You don't need that accessory. You don't need all that other stuff. It's the, you bought it because someone else has it, but you don't have a client calling you for it yet. Yes. Yeah. And that's where it's a lot of the big purchases too. It's not necessarily the accessories I find. Mm-hmm. Accessories are problem solvers. Mm-hmm. It's the critical pieces that now need five more accessories mm-hmm. to make it work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, newer camera or uh, you know, you buy lens. you buy a polarizer because you want to shoot through glass. You buy a cable because you want to hook something up to something else. Mm-hmm. You buy a, a tripod plate because you lost one. All those little accessories needs. Those are my needs. Mm-hmm. 
It's the, do I really need this monitor that uh, I already have one, but this one, this one's now, uh, this is a 10-bit monitor, yeah. or this is a 444 monitor. Your camera may still be 442, yeah. like, but, oh, but this one's future-proof, but you're not in the future yet, <laughs> yeah. and no one's paying you extra to bring you this monitor to set. Yeah. Or it was like that with 1080p and 4K cameras, you know, for a oh, long time. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And they now, were like, oh, I got to sell my 5D Mark III because it's no longer any good. And it's like, yeah. are you delivering 4K? Like, yeah. does your client even have a way of viewing 4K? Probably say, not. I'd say right now we're in that again with 6K and 8K, you know. Absolutely. And yeah. I that's, that's exactly it. You see people, you know, we talked earlier about the Blackmagic 6K camera. And how now other manufacturers are like, I don't know if we should do anything. That thing's killing it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's killing it. But did you need six? Do you even have a laptop at home? Like so many people think, oh, I'm going to buy the 6K camera. And there was, I think, a no film school article. Like what's the real cost of the Blackmagic 6K camera? (laughs) And it's like, cool. The camera costs you like, what, 1500, 1700, something like that. No, the 6K is 24. Is it 24? Okay. The 4K one is 1250. Yes, it shows you how much I pay attention, right? (laughs) But the article was like, cool. Go buy yourself an iMac Pro Uh (laughs) because you need it. Yeah, yeah. And you need this much RAM just to process the the 6K footage. Oh, do you have hard drives? Probably not enough for 6K because that's (laughs) going to eat up a lot of hard drive. Yeah, yeah. And the flash (laughs) media card for that camera costs fortune. And it's like, cool. Was your GH4 really that old at this point? Yeah. (laughs) You know? Was was the 5D Mark III really that bad of a camera? No. No. And we've even uh, for our YouTube channel, we've got the EOS R. Mm-hmm. We've got the 1DX Mark II. Mm-hmm. We don't shoot 4K. We shoot 1080. Mm-hmm. Even though we got cameras that can do 4K, we're not we're not shooting 4K. Uh, the only time we shoot 4K is the commercials because we're not doing them in-house. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we offload that footage to someone else to edit uh, just because we're a small team. We're very, like, we try to keep our, our size and all that stuff to just the minimum needed to get everything done. Yeah. Um, that's smart. So you outsource the big kind of, uh, flashy edits and stuff. The big flashy edits. We, we of course bring in big flashy editors. That's their job. I mean, they mm-hmm. know that we do the day in day out kind of editing. That's our background. We're not going to try to sit there and do stuff we can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also something I think a lot of people, you know, talking about what's a tip for photographers and videographers. Uh, and, and that is in terms of audio, at least they try to do it all. Yeah. And even when their productions scale and all of a sudden it's a three camera, two person sit down interview, the videographer is still trying to run all the sound themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and use the budget for a red instead of a sound mixer. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, cool, get yourself the sound mixer. If this is critical enough for three cameras, get yourself a sound mixer. Yeah. Right. Like I understand there's one man bands and they exist and the marketplace allows for that. And there's a price and, Mm-hmm. There's a cons and, and pros and all that stuff for that. But if you're going to start doing two-person interviews, you're starting to hire a second camera person, and now you have dedicated lighting, and you're bringing in someone to act as a grip, consider the fact that the half the signal <laughs> is being managed by the other half of the yeah. signal that day. Maybe it should be managed by someone else. I used to work at a, a corporate uh I used to work a corporate job and I was on the video team there and there was about 20 of us there and there were two audio guys and then, you know, four video 
specific people and then the rest were producers and editors and stuff and it was so wonderful i worked there for only 10 months but when i got out of that job i really missed the fact that i never had to think about audio because that was their job and they handled it perfectly absolutely and what was so great was that um you know, we would come back from the shoot and they would just hand me a pre-mixed, you know, EQ'd file. They would even go through it and isotope, you know, certain moments that maybe there was a siren or something. And I would just receive this perfect file that I would just sync to my video and I didn't have to touch it. It was done. It was finished. And it was such a, a pleasure to to have that luxury of, of a, sound, a professional sound uh, expert. And I think a lot of people out there are like, well, my audience wouldn't notice the difference. It's like, I think they would. Yeah, totally. They can tell the difference of when you're using the onboard microphone, you know, the built-in one into your camera, the the whatever it is that you're probably currently doing, and you're complaining about your sound, mm -hmm. and you say, well, I, I, I don't know how to fix it. It's just not possible. <laughs> and it's like, I bet it is. Again, it goes back to learn some techniques, learn mm -hmm. some tips, mm -hmm. buy what you actually need. I don't try to think that if I spend a great deal of money that without the training behind it, yeah, it's going to fix everything. And it's like, no, you still need the training. What do you have to say about my little audio setup here? We got the Shure SMB. Uh, this is great, actually. SM7B going into the cloud lifter, which unfortunately these mics, the they're very low. The the noise on it's or the gain on it's super low. So I, I normally with my Focusrite, I've got the Scarlett Focusrite. I have to turn the gain all the way up. But this thing really kind of allows no, me to have Cloudlifter is a fantastic company, um, and their products are amazing. Um, what I think most people, they, they, they see this mm -hmm. in YouTube videos. And by this, by everyone listening at home, I'm pointing at the microphone. Uh -huh. It's all NPR over here as I whisper. Like Potato Jet uses this. Potato Jet made this kind name. of like famous kind of mic. And a lot of people. <laughs> Joe because, Rogan uses it. Yeah, they switch over to it because they're like, oh, I see the mic. And they don't know about the mic chain. Mm -hmm. what's after the microphone what's it plugged into what are the settings mm -hmm. they buy the gear this is what, it goes back to that they buy the gear but they don't know why yeah. it was selected by potato jet why did potato jet buy it because his studio is really noisy outside right and so it's just a little ball of audio instead of a boom that he's said unfortunately because of his studio space picks up a lot of outside noise absolutely he's got purpose for his for his purchase mm -hmm. but there's so many people out there that just sit there and they watch a video uh, and they just buy what's in the video because they go well that's what that person bought mm -hmm. but you only see what's in the video you don't know like what you have the cloud lifter yeah <laughs> it's probably on the table hidden out of the way yeah you don't know the settings of his focus right that he's got his set to or if he's got someone in you know post-production editing the audio mm -hmm. sweetening it all up making it sound a lot better and i think again if you learn the techniques you watch tutorials you watch breakdowns of this kind of stuff you start to realize it's not just one piece of gear that's going to solve everything mm-hmm it's a lot of little things. Yes. And a lot of them are things you personally can do out there. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, thanks for coming on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. You're a good friend of mine, so thank you for <laughs> making the time to drive to Costa Mesa from L.A. to be here. Yeah. Well, it was, it was actually a really nice drive. Yeah? Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess was, we was picked a good time slot. Yeah. And that's so. we really plan this out. If you come to L.A., if you're listening, you come to L.A., between like 11 
and like 12.30. It's a really nice city. Uh-huh. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's literally an hour and a half. <laughs> you got an hour and a half window of just amazing. Everybody's in their office and not yeah. disturbing a, a soul. Right. And then 12.30 hits and everyone goes to lunch. And the whole city just goes to heck again. <laughs> it's just a terrible Un- place. Until about, what, 8? Eight, 8 at night? Seven I'd say like 11 p.m. <laughs> 11 p.m. My uncle's an Uber driver in LA, and he he only works at night, and he, he says it's wonderful. Oh yeah, just... because the roads are open. Yeah, there's no pedestrians. Yeah, yeah. There's no one yelling. Uh-huh. It's a wonderful place. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. So okay, you come to LA, 11 to 12:30, amazing. Uh huh. Midnight to 3 a.m. Uh huh. Also amazing. Yeah. So if you're gonna plan your vacation. <laughs> Those are your great times to plan for things. <laughs> great little uh, last minute tip from Andrew. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on, Andrew. And uh, hopefully the audio sounds appropriate enough. Uh, I'll let you listen to this before I post it. And... <laughs> oh, it's been a fantastic time. Thanks, man. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Andrew Jones from DD Microphones. It was a real pleasure interviewing him and hearing his journey through his career. If there's anything in this episode that really stood out to you, please tweet me at Dave Mays and let me know, hey, this one thing that was said in the podcast was really great and we really loved it. Or just give me a tweet and say, hey, good job on the podcast or bad job. You know, whatever you want to say. Also, if you haven't checked out Polar Pro's website yet, go over to polarpro.com and look at some of the products that we have for sale there, some incredible stuff that we make for photographers and filmmakers, indie filters, accessories, anything you can think of is probably there. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Andrew. Once again, I'm your host, Dave Mays. This is the Polar Pro Golden Hour Podcast, and we'll see you next week.